Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome. Uh, welcome to a yeah, cold, dreary Monday after a Steeler loss. Never good, never good. I saw the writing on the wall and went to bed in the late third quarter. Yes, a fair weather fan and just an exhausted human being. Um, Got to tell you, this is our last uh, week here in this space. Uh, so say goodbye to whatever this has been, pretty much. Um, we're heading off down the street uh, with apparently views of the Monongahela River. We'll see. So um, there's going to be a lot of, uh, I would imagine, tumult uh, here for a while, but we'll be having to take a few weeks off to get this um, this move done, okay? But we are with you today, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, as far as I know, and um, <clears throat> heaven knows, as usual, <clears throat> plenty of stuff to bother ourselves about. Um, I took a real break from all of this. I even got out of the country. <laughs> yeah, not much, but I, you know, Canada is not our country. I found that out because I had to go through customs and back again. Um, it is, I mean, I, well, I've said, I've got to stop saying this because I keep doing it. I keep saying it's increasingly difficult for me to even <laughs> even get it together to talk about stuff. And I know I'm not alone because we're exhausted. Um, there was a great piece, actually, in the Times yesterday uh, written by Michelle Goldberg about uh, the the grief defining it as grief that so many of us are feeling <clears throat> despair grief because our sense of our country you know has remained relatively um intact for most of our lives and uh not that we saw it as perfect, but we saw it as a country that kept trying to live up to its ideals, falling back, then struggling forward a bit, falling back, struggling forward. At least that's how I perceived it. And we took uh, for granted, did we not, yeah, that this imperfect democracy of ours was a a given. And the fact that now we no longer can take it for granted, we are feeling fear, grief, caused by, of course, a sense of loss. And it's happening with such a drumbeat of constancy that 
it is hard to process. Michelle Goldberg, in writing her piece, said, I have noticed, and not just in myself, a demoralizing degree of fear, even depression, And she talked to a bunch of psychologists, and man, they're seeing it. It's like Trump is sitting in the in the room with all of these therapists and their and their patients. It is that much of a cause of the stress and uh destabilization that so many people are feeling. The one thing that was said is something that I have said a few years ago. The thing that makes me just want to weep is that there are people amongst us old who have endured so much. I am talking about those who survived white nationalism, who survived the Holocaust. That they have lived to see what to them looks frighteningly familiar. I was reading a piece, I, I don't have it here in front of me, about <clears throat> about how uh, when the Olympics were held in Germany in 1936, there were a lot of people in the United States that wanted us to boycott those games. 1936, okay? This is five years before we went to war. It was obvious in 1936 where Germany was going. I guess it was not obvious that it would be as extraordinarily, nightmarishly, sadistic and horrific as it was. But again, knowing one's history... is pretty important to sort of understanding where we might well stand now. The fact that therapists are seeing Holocaust survivors, people in their 90s, who recognize the kind of propaganda, who recognize the divisive tactics they see employed, who recognize the blatant lies coming from leaders of the nation, amplified by their protectors in the legislative branch. One person said, it's like watching someone you love die of a horrible disease. 
That's how some of us are feeling every day about our country. It doesn't feel like depression. It feels more like grief. And people say, the people who say, Aw, oh, come on, you, you, pfft. what's the word? Snowflake. Ah, oh, come on. This country has been divided before. At war with itself. This country has been through frightening times, even in your lifetime. But there's something different now. And we can feel it. The divisions and the violence of the 60s, of the civil rights movement, of then the other freedom movements, women's movement, gay movement, those were all times that caused families to sunder, people to despair. But here's what's different. The civil rights movement in large part succeeded. A lot got done. The women's movement largely succeeded or I wouldn't be sitting here saying that. And Amy wouldn't be sitting where she's sitting. The gay rights movement was so quick, so fast, that some and plenty of people's heads still spinning. None of these things are <clears throat> at an end point. You know, the battles are still there to be fought. But progress was made in this imperfect country on those fronts. And they were made because Americans were capable of shame. They were made because Americans sat in their living rooms. Americans who knew no black people and saw fire hoses and dogs turned on other Americans whose skin was a different color. Sat in horror watching and felt shame. When we began to understand what was happening in Vietnam, Americans were capable of feeling shame. And the shame is that we were able to see the incredible gap between what our stated ideals as a nation were what we've been taught about the United States of America and what we saw was the reality of the United States of America. That unbelievable distance between the two. 
and we felt shame. We know now and have seen for some time how an extraordinarily huge percentage of our nation doesn't even sign on anymore to these supposed ideals, openly, openly stands in opposition to them and feels no shame. So even though we've been through these things before, bad stuff, never, anything like this, never, we have never in the history of this country had as a president a man who openly treats half of this nation as enemies. Presidents take an oath, right? They are the presidents of all the people, whether those people voted for them or not. They are the physical, mortal embodiment and protector and defender of the nation and its principles and its constitution. And we have a president now who flat out looks at me, you, millions upon millions of the citizens that he is to lead and says, enemy. And to some, he subjects them to constant dehumanization, hostile propaganda. It used to be in this country, in my lifetime, used to be that people on both sides of the aisle, people who saw things differently and had different ideas about how our society, our country should be organized, policy differences. But we held a common language of sorts. There were places where we overlapped, where we met and acknowledged a community that held us together. All of that's gone. Michelle Goldberg says that this kind of suffering that some of us are feeling is increasingly difficult because we know that 
for instance, me saying what I'm saying now. Delights the president's supporters. Delights them. It's what they wanted. The MAGA people. In fact, some would say it's their, their reason for being so vociferous in their defense of this indefensible man. They love making people like me miserable. So you almost don't want to give them the pleasure, but I have to be honest. And what kind of people delight in others' suffering? Others' suffering. Here's a quote from another therapist, I believe, who says, Grieving about democracy, our democracy, is not like regular grief. Because with regular grief, you have to move toward acceptance, right, of that which is lost, and you move on. And see, this grief, you can not move toward acceptance. You must move toward resistance. Acceptance. Michelle Goldberg says, is itself a kind of death. So I have to tell you that I enjoyed myself for a while because I removed myself from this for a while. And boy, it just comes right back. Kaplooey. And the impeachment stuff where... I've lived through two other impeachments and they seemed huge and this one doesn't because Trump and his party have broken everything and so even heading into an impeachment vote and a Senate trial we have the the Senate leader Mitch McConnell saying he will coordinate everything about the trial where the Senate, including Mitch McConnell, and the senators sit as jurors, essentially. He will coordinate every aspect of it with the White House. In other words, with the defendant. <laughs> Everything's broken. Milton has sent me two topical quotes. Let's see. This is, <laughs> yeah, right. This is from Hitler's propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels. Goebbels. Boy, if you read him, the article I was reading about the 1936 uh, Munich games were um, 
quoted him quite a bit. Quoted him quite a bit. And his quotes, his words, should make every American's blood run cold. Again, seeing this history repeating itself. Joseph Goebbels, there was no point in seeking to convert the intellectuals, for intellectuals would never be converted, and would anyway always yield to the stronger, and this will always be the man in the street. Arguments must therefore be crude, clear, and forcible, and appeal to emotions and instincts, not the intellect. Tell me if this is not Trump. Arguments must therefore be crude, clear, and forcible, and appeal to emotions and instincts, the reptilian part of the brain, not the rational part of the brain. That's Joseph Goebbels who brought us the Holocaust. And he could just as well be writing that about Donald Trump and his enablers. Could he not? Hmm? <clears throat> Goebbels is not done. He has one more for us to take in. Truth, truth, was unimportant <laughs> and entirely subordinate to tactics and psychology. Tell me, is this not a dead-on description of our country and its leadership right now? Dead on. Ah, yes. And here's another prescient person, not a fascist, but a guy <clears throat> who was so smart about the use of language and, and how words and the fudging of truth can easily manipulate people. If you have never read the essay called Politics and the English Language by George Orwell, that would be a good read right now. It's short, just a little essay. Politics and the English Language. But here is Orwell, supposedly writing fiction. All that was required of them, the brainwashed masses, was a primitive patriotism which could be appealed to whenever it was necessary to make them accept longer working hours or shorter rations. And even when they became discontented, as they sometimes did, their discontent led 
nowhere because being without general ideals, they could only focus it on petty, specific grievances. The larger evils invariably escaped their notice. So yeah, there's outrage about a football player kneeling during the national anthem. (laughs) These are the little, petty, specific grievances that Trump's crowd gets their head around. They don't see the forest for the trees. They're incapable of it. They are brainwashed. And all of it taken almost word for word, letter by letter, from the Nazi killing machine playbook. Barbara says, did you watch 60 Minutes? Yes. Yes, I did. And there was an incredible piece about how even in that hell, as people were being slaughtered in a very industrialized way, the very people being slaughtered were writing music, composing music, playing music. And the story was about one man, an Italian uh, composer, and his incredible work to find all that music, to keep it alive, to recreate it. And you know, it's funny, Barbara asked if I saw that. Yes, and today, driving here, I thought of it again because I was thinking of the division in our in our country and I was wondering how do we bring people together and I thought of the power of music and I think it was because of the piece on 60 minutes the power of music Oh, it was, I also watched some of the Kennedy Center honors last night. And those are the honors that every president has attended until, of course, this one. He has never attended one. These celebrations of the art created in our nation. And they put on a hell of a show every year. And... It was televised last night opposite the football game. And my heavens, there was a quick cutaway of a man so clearly enjoying it 
clapping his hands to this music. And the room is full of people of different political points of view. And here was this guy enjoying himself. And I thought, who? And I realized this was the man who was going to oversee the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. It was Chief Justice John Roberts. And it made me think, my God, he likes Linda Ronstadt, (laughs) her music. He might not like her politics, but he likes her music, the power of music. I don't know what to what to say. I was, by the way, in Canada, and I kid you not, I was looking at property. The Jews who didn't get killed in the Holocaust were Jews who saw things coming and got the hell out. <laughs> I, I think when a Jew's when a Jew starts feeling that tingle and when Holocaust survivors say to you, this is just, this is just like it was. I think it's a good idea to think about getting ahead of the horror that could be coming. I was looking at property north, not just because it's the quickest way to get to another country, but also because going north might give one more refuge because of the climate crisis. To go north, to go where there's abundant water, away from the coasts. Two things, two potential future horrors looming over us, and most of us sit and wait. The climate crisis is the more frightening one to me, because you can see how nothing Nothing is being done to stop it. I want to give you something that was on the bottom right-hand corner of the front page of the New York Times today. I will read the first sentence. In what was widely denounced as one of the worst outcomes in a quarter century of climate negotiations... United United Nations talks ended on Sunday with the United States and other big polluters blocking even a non-binding measure that would have simply encouraged countries to adopt more ambitious targets for reducing greenhouse gas emissions 
next year. This goes well beyond Nero fiddling while Rome burned. Well beyond. What are we thinking? Magical thinking. Somehow somebody's going to clean this up. Somehow there's going to be a reversal. When we now, in this horrific administration, have a president who openly pushes the other way, increasing emissions, talking up coal, fossil fuels, The Trump administration used this meeting to push back on a range of proposals and see this thing is not a matter of opinion this thing is real it seems to me if you're not despairing right now that you must be dead wouldn't you? I think. And so it's been brought to my attention that there are a number tomorrow night of uh, rallies. This is people keep saying, why aren't people in the streets? There is going to be an effort tomorrow night. Oh no, tomorrow night it's going to be cold dark, maybe snow. I'll stay home. There will be these events all over the place. There's one in Greensburg. There's one in Beaver County. There's one in downtown Pittsburgh in front of the city county building. Uh, there's one in Mount Lebanon. Uh I don't know how much. I didn't know anything about it because, as I said, I've been out. Um, but it's called a march for truth. <laughs> Jesus. And to impeach and remove this president. I'm uh, 5.30 tomorrow, p.m., city-county building, They want people to RSVP. I don't know how many they have RSVP'd, and I'm sure not a lot of people will. But it sure would be good if those crowds were huge all over the country. Some might be better organized. Some might, you know, who knows? Who knows? Um... Hang on here while I, I lost my... Okay. Did you see this uh, Obama quote? Remember him? We can blame him. He's the one who totally flipped out all these racists. Eight years of this black man presiding over them is what got us Donald Trump.
That's the white man's antidote to this. To this honorable, thoughtful, serious, humane black man. The country said, all right, we'll take your Barack Obama and we'll give you Donald Trump. Wow. Oh, don't, 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 don't. So Obama was at an event in, um, I don't know where. He was out of the country. I think Singapore. Is that where he was? And he said this in part. Let me He flat out said, "I can say pretty indisputably that women are better than us men." <laughs> and here he goes on to say, he wasn't just saying it. He believes it. He said this, "I'm absolutely confident that for 2 years if every nation on earth was run by women, you would see a significant improvement across the board on just about everything. Everything. Living standards, all outcomes. If you look at the world, Barack Obama, and look at the problems, it's usually old people, usually old men, not getting out of the way. It is important for political leaders to try and remind themselves that they are there to do a job, but they are not there for life. They are not there in order to prop up their own sense of self-importance or their own power. Men have been getting on my nerves lately, he said. I mean, every day I read the newspaper and I just think like, brothers, what is wrong with you guys? What is wrong with us? So he says, if you look, the problem is usually old men not getting out of the way. <clears throat> you see who's leading the Democratic primary race? Two old white men. That's the Democrats. Biden and Sanders. I'm not saying they're bad guys, but they won't get out of the way. I have a call. Go ahead, caller. Lynn. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, good, mor good morning, Lynn. Hi. Hey, Lynn. Uh, my wife and I often talk about this, about the women... The men are running things into the ground, okay? It's just plain and simple. I mean, you can see it. 
<laughs> the only firewall we have really that saved us recently within the impeachment hearings has been the women. Has been the lawyer. Oh, my goodness. The, 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 Fiona the, Hill? Fiona Hill? Oh, my Fiona Hill. And she was a firebrand. And who was the attorney? The, uh, not attorney but the, the judge. The judge. Well, not the judge. <laughs> she was in the college professor. This college professor was the law professor of that woman. But I can't think of her name right now. Yeah. I can't either. You know yeah. what I'm talking Para- about? Yes, I, 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 I can was, see her. I just She don't. was fantastic. She was Fiona Hill was fantastic. She was fantastic. I told my wife, this is an early goddamn firewall. Thank God they spoke up for the people. Basically, and then this, the Republicans, these men, they hate the women. They hate women. I mean, you, you can see it dripping off them. They hate powerful women because... They don't. They're stand up to these the women. These these strong women have more balls than fucking ten of these men put together. And they can't stand these women. Trump, Lindsey Graham, all these bastards. They can't take the the the, the because they'll scorch them. No, it so takes it. Well, you know what? You know, you know. It occurs to me. It takes a a strong man to be comfortable with strong women. It's. It, it, I mean, it's simple. I it's, mean, it's, 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 it's that simple. It's that simple. It's so, that simple. Right. It's that simple. Right. I mean, the, the, the strongest people in my life and my teachers have been women. I mean, my wife, my mother, my grandmother. They're all this, they're all the pillars. Okay. Not I mean, my father as well, but to teach people how to live and how to live properly. It's the women. Yeah. My daughter teaches her grand, teaches her son. It's the goddamn women every goddamn time. Please stop. The men are stupid. And what? Think about this, Lynn. There, these people are in their seventies. Okay, that's not that's not bad. <laughs> but they're seventy-two-year-old men. What are they going to get with money? What do you want with money? I don't. I can, please tell me what really Giuliani's trying to do to get money. And same with Donald Trump. What do they want to buy that they want to get this money with? I don't it's know. It's not money. It's power. No, it's no. Power. It's power, and and because I they feel. I don't understand. I don't know. They feel hollow or something inside. They don't. They yeah. o- the only value they see is is money and power. Yeah, and they do go together. They don't see a value in human kindness. They don't see value in in helping this, others. How about this one? Who would take a sixteen-year-old girl? Yeah. Who wins the man of the year or person of the year? Who would say, who would condemn them? Who and well, we know. would condemn them? We know who. Please tell me that. Who the weakest, the weakest man in the world. I mean. Who holds the most powerful he, position. Yeah, but, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, Lynn, please tell me who would, who yeah. would do that. There it is. <clears throat> And, please tell me. I don't and yeah, well, more than him though. Please tell me how forty percent plus, perhaps, of Americans are willing to aid, abet, and reelect him. And tell me. That's why I go crazy every day. I watch the side of the show, and I can't believe my eyes. I know. Here's and no, and I gotta go. One more thing, bad thing. I'll leave you with one. What was Donald Trump's main concern when he meets with the leaders? His number one, number one thing he's worried about: you're not paying enough money for defense. 
That's all he cares about. You're ripping us off on the defense budget. You're not putting enough money to kill people as I am. I have the I have more most money to kill people, and you're not even keeping up with me. So he belittles the other people, and they think you're right. Let's see. He's killing. He has the power to kill people, and he wants to spend money for kill people, and we're not keeping up with him. What kind of mentality is that? I mean, please tell me that. It's not like a good thing. Like I'm trying to feed the poor. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to solve crisis. No. I'm telling everybody in around the group. Imagine we all sat around the group and said, "Hey, Lynn, you're not putting enough in the money for to kill people. What the f's wrong with you?" And you'd be like, "Mike, you're something. What are you something off?" You say, "Lynn, come on." I would put my brow down to you and look down at you and say, "Lynn, come on, wake up. What's wrong with you?" It's unbelievable. Tell me, Lynn. I don't know. I don't. Well, listen. Do you think? Listen. Do I? I just spent a half hour saying I'm in such a state of of fear, despair, uh, rage, and <laughs> sorrow. I can't, you know, I, I... I can't pick up the ball. It's a ball of badness. Every, every time you try to kick it, yeah. you find goodness. There's no goodness, and the ball is badness. You know, I woke up today, and I, I did, um, you know, I pressed my phone, and this thing that popped up right away <laughs> was a tweet from him saying something oh about goodness. Nancy Pelosi's <laughs> teeth. And I thought, you know, please, this is the f- oh God, this is the president heart. of you. Not and that I, 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 I it's not him. It's the people who vote for him I, and I, aid I, him. I, I, what is wrong oh, with them? I, I thought she would have been. See, I thought she would have been like person of the year because I thought, oh my God, she's the only one. She beats the shit out of him every day. Yeah, he don't know what to do with her because yeah. he whips he he she throws him around like a rag dog and he's all he can do is call make fun of her physical physical abnormalities. Right, that's what the Republicans they were talking about slurring her speech. Mm-hmm. What kind of please? Yeah, what kind of human beings would go on TV and make fun? First of all, a woman, this woman, they want to, they take pride in their appearances. Why in the f would you do that? Because you know that's going to hurt them the most, more than men. I mean that's that's no. understandable. They're, they're He's look. He is. He is. Listen. He's. Come on, man. Okay, I don't want to talk about him anymore. Go away. I do not want to talk about him. My heart's actually racing hard. Okay. Hard fast. Okay. Well, take a deep breath and stop. Yeah. I gotta take a breath. And stop thinking about him. Look at him. Really, stop right now because I you can't let him infect you. Just for a few minutes, I'm gonna take this right. I'm gonna take this little poison, little bit. I'm gonna then I'm gonna. To expel the poison, but eat it out of me, or whatever I want to do with it, smoke it out of me, and then I'm going to be fine. Okay. Okay, you're right. All right. Thanks, okay. Man. Thank I'll you. Bye bye. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Uh. Obit. I was upset to see this, you know, because I wasn't paying attention. Um, Danny Aello. And what's what's weird is that I. I had just rewatched uh, Spike Lee's uh, "Do the Right Thing," and what a good movie that is! Jeez, I hadn't watched it for a long time, and I, whoa! And then <laughs> I see this, Danny Aiello. He's gone. What a do you know about his history? It's really funny. I can't. Um, he never studied acting. His first 
acting roles were, he was 40 years old. He never stuck. You imagine you're 40 years old and all of a sudden you become a movie star? I mean, how does that happen? Uh, his father, he grew up in uh, in the South Bronx. And his dad um, had odd jobs, including driving uh, bootleg liquor for Dutch Schultz. And uh, his father also served time in in jail. Um, age of nine, Danny Aiello is, uh, got a job. He's shining shoes at Grand Central Station. A little bit later, he's running numbers for the mob. He never finished high school. He dropped out of high school, joined the army, And he was a blue-collar worker well into his 30s. I mean, never acted at all. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of how people, um, sometimes young people would come up to me and say, I want to get into television. How do I, how, tell me how you do that. And I said, well, <laughs> you know, it's not like there's some map, you know, I, that, tells you, you do this, then you do that, then you do this. I said, there are people who will answer you that way, but, I mean, my way was extremely circuitous, not unlike Danny. I had no intention of it. It wasn't my dream. I was a secretary, a legal secretary. Um, stuff happens. You have to be open to change. So then he worked on an assembly line at an aircraft factory in, in Jersey. He was a baggage handler for Greyhound Bus. He was a pool hall hustler. He was a burglar. He was a bouncer. <laughs> and apparently the bouncing gig at a midtown nightclub whose owner had connections in entertainment, that was, the, that was the connection. So Danny Aiello ends up filling in as an MC. How, I wish they'd given me more information about that leap there. Filling in as an MC at, uh, at the Improv in, in uh, Manhattan. Uh, and he ended up singing backup for unknowns like a woman named Bette Midler. He would do late, late, late night readings of uh, Puzo's The Godfather. It had not yet been made into a movie. He would read the book to people. And somebody hearing him, somebody looking at him, you know, knowing him said, you know, I think you should be, you know, try out for this play here, doing this. And the first thing he did, he opened in some off-Broadway play in 1970. 
He was 37. His first film came when he was 40. <laughs> Bang the drum slowly with a young Robert De Niro. I loved him in, uh, in Moonstruck and in Man, Do the Right Thing. Danny Aiello, anyway. He got an Oscar nomination uh, for Do the Right Thing, but he didn't get the Oscar. He lost to uh, Denzel Washington for uh, Glory. But what an unlikely career path. I love it. He was a great actor. Never had an acting lesson. Jeez. Wow. Unbelievable. So, not in here. Why can't I get this? Um, I I also noticed, um, and I'm I'm assuming this got more play here, a local obit that I just want to note. Uh, I was very saddened to see Bobby Cardillo. Um, had died, 95 years old. Um, and I mean, he was a great local uh, pianist and performer. I mean, I got some of the people he played with, Andy Williams, Kay Ballard, Yitzhak Perlman. Well, this is weird. In... In 1958, he performed alongside 13-year-old Yitzhak Perlman at the William Penn Hotel. Jeez. He accompanied Mel Torme, Diane Carroll, Henry Mancini. See him at Walt Harper's Jazz Club. Then he opened his own on the south side. I was in it a few times, Cardillo's Club. He was a nice guy. And... uh Again, people who give us music uh, are are the best people. <laughs> people who give us music, really. So, oh, and the story I was going. Never mind. I didn't want to. I'll just quickly share something with you that. Um, you know how so often there's a local story and you never quite take it in. Well, I mean, I or understand it, and then, <clears throat> and then a, some national publication does a story on it, and then you see it and understand it. This has happened to me a lot. <laughs> and there's one today, front page Wall Street Journal. And I'm just gonna let me read some of it to you. Last Christmas Eve, so we're talking a year ago. A sprinkler pipe at a U.S. Steel Corporation plant south of Pittsburgh fell from the ceiling in a building at the 120-year-old complex. Within minutes, an area the size of a football field was engulfed in flame. The falling pipe severed another delivering oil to a compressor, a machine sucking highly combustible gas throughout the plant, 
The leaking oil caught fire, the compressor began to vibrate, and a flood of gas from Coke ovens was ignited. All this from a 59-page report on the accident. And apparently, uh, the Wall Street Journal got an engineering firm to really dig into it. A 120-year-old mill, that's what's sitting there and still operative, caught beneath, b between the need, it says here, to overhaul its existing plants and invest in new mills, the company... U.S. Steel, that rolled the steel for the skyscrapers and cars that made the United States an industrial power. That company is breaking down. They talk to current employees, former executives, hourly workers, investors, talked about a pattern of failures that have made U.S. Steel's largest plants unreliable, inefficient, and in some cases dangerous for workers and for the surrounding communities. They go on to talk about other U.S. Steel operations. Man, geez. Wow, God, why don't they just close up? At a plant in Portage, Indiana, elevated levels of metals, oil, and other production waste have been drained into a canal next to the plant that connects to Lake Michigan, which provides, of course, the drinking water for Chicago and a whole bunch of other cities. That U.S. steel plant has received more than 90 citations for violating wastewater discharge permits. It also released 400 pounds of carcinogenic chromium during two incidents in 2017. And it says here that the Clareton Works at the Mon Valley Works that the story starts with Investigators found that corrosion had rendered the failed sprinkler pipe paper thin and also that the compressor would have failed anyway because a shaft inside it was also corroded and cracked. Everything corroded, cracked. Workers in the plant had told supervisors, this stuff's coming apart, and they said fix it, and they said, we need new ones. This is not fixable. Before the fire, workers knew one compressor needed to be taken offline because it was vibrating. Managers said, no, wait until after the holidays to avoid paying thousands of dollars in overtime. And you'll recall when I started this, I said it was Christmas Eve that this went. They are facing so many lawsuits. I, I think there was a settlement, right, recently with Clareton. I don't know. My God. 
On April 1st of this year, the company emitted a peak of 135,000 pounds of sulfur dioxide outside of Pittsburgh. The permitted level, 13,000. 135,000. Jesus. Okay, that's it. I don't know. Why should we keep getting together like this and talking about the end of the world? I mean, you really want to? I'm not so sure I do. Anyway, have a good day. <laughs> real estate in Canada, I'm telling you. Real estate. In, go north. Go where there's fresh water. And if you're a Jew... Keep a bag packed. If you're brown-skinned, if you're gay, all kinds, if you're a marginalized uh, anything, do it. Don't be silly. Don't engage in magical thinking. Seriously. See you tomorrow. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.